World Magazine writes, as I just passed out, a month before the 2020 elections, Pastor and Prophet Jeremiah Johnson said he had a dream with three parts. Amy Amy Coney Barrett would be confirmed to the Supreme Court. The Los Angeles Dodgers would capture the World Series and Donald Trump would win the White House. When the first two events happened, Johnson thought the third seemed certain. But on the day after Christmas, 12 days after the Electoral College confirmed President Joe Biden's victory, Johnson told his 324,000 Facebook followers that he might soon retract his prophecy. On January 7th, the day after Congress certified that Biden prevailed, Johnson posted a public apology for being wrong about Trump. I want to go on record. I was wrong. I am deeply sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. I would like to repent for inaccurately prophesying that Donald Trump would win a second term as the President of the United States. So what should we make of such prophecies? Was Jeremiah just wrong on this one? but actually an accurate prophet at other times? Or, what should we think of books like Jesus Calling, which in its various formats has sold over 30 million copies? Uh, The blurb for one of the original copies says, After many years of writing her own words in her prayer journal, missionary Sarah Young decided to be more attentive to the Savior's voice and began listening for what he was saying. So with pen in hand, she embarked on a journey that forever changed her and many others around the world. And these powerful words, in these powerful pages, are the words and scriptures Jesus lovingly laid on her heart. And often, as you read through the devotional, though I haven't read through it to be honest, but many of them have not, Jesus is in calling you to trust him with your loved ones, but entrust your loved ones to me, as though Jesus was speaking, or watch to see what I will do, as though Jesus, Jesus calling, is saying these things to us. What should we make of such devotionals? So all of this is really dealing with the issue of what is prophecy? What should we make of people today who say, I am speaking for the Lord? What should we say? Um, As we dive into this, I would like to note this is more of an intramural debate This is with people that we probably, on other respects, gladly would link arms with and say they are being faithful to Scripture. Um, And while most of this is probably secondary doctrines, I do think it can lead to primary doctrines like, is God's Word sufficient? Is this all we need for life and godliness, or do we need more? (coughs) Um, But saying all that, let's dive into what does Scripture say? And I want to look at three things, and I have a vague or uh, what would be the right phrase? Uh, sneaking suspicion is a phrase. We're not going to get through all this, but we'll, we'll get as far as we can. Let's look first, a prophet like Moses. And we're going to look at lots of things, so we're going to be passing out verses. John, would you turn to Genesis 20, verse 7? Joseph, can you turn to Exodus 4, 10 through 17? And then I'll also have you read 30. Marie, could you turn to 6, 28 through 7, 1? Um... David and Keith, could y'all split up those exoduses? They're all basically the same thing, but just trying to reiterate the point. Just jump back and forth between them. Uh, let's see here. Royal, could you turn to Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22? Amir, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. Sarah, Ezekiel 3, 4. Lori, Zechariah 7, 7. 
We're almost done here. Katie, Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12, and then Stan, Acts 3, 22 through 26. And we'll then distribute the rest if we can get through all that. So Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. And we're going to begin here because this is the first time that I'm aware of, at least when I did my little search, that the word prophet is used in the Bible. Now, as we've said several times in the last few weeks, we've got to be careful because a word is or word has its meaning based on the context. So we want to make sure we're being clear. But as I looked, it seems like the word prophet, especially in the Old Testament, is being used in the same regard each time. So here, give the context, Genesis 20, Abraham for the second time has said, well, Sarah's my sister, which wasn't completely untrue, but he also didn't say she's also my wife. She was his half-sister. And so the king, Abimelech, had taken her to be with him. And yet, then he gets this dream. Genesis 20, verse 7. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all of you are yours. Alright, so, first time in the Bible, he's a prophet. Doesn't say anything about what a prophet is, but there it is. Abraham's a prophet, and I guess as a prophet, he's, he'll pray for you, and that has, in some level, maybe some greater influence. We're not told. But then the next time we come across a prophet is in Exodus. There you may remember that Moses has to flee Egypt because he kills someone, thinking he's going to enact justice for the Israelites. And then he's in the wilderness, and God appears to him in the burning bush. And you may also remember that when God tells him, I want you to go back to Egypt and say that God wants his people to be let free, Moses doesn't go, yes, all right, I'm ready, sign me up. And actually, in five different ways, he's like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? And over and over, he's making excuses, I don't want to do this. And then finally, we'll see in verses 4, 10 through 7, he basically just flatly says, no, I don't want to do it. Joseph, would you read those verses 4, 10 through 17? So Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming to you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And taking your hand, this staff, with which you shall do the signs. Another the key phrase we're going to focus on is verse 17. He, Aaron, shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. Uh, my argument is going to be, that's what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who is a mouth for the Lord, and you shall be as God to him. And we see this begin to happen because even in that chapter, the Israelites 
go back to, sorry, Moses and Aaron, go back to Israel while they're in Egypt, and they speak to them. And would Joseph, you read verse 30 of chapter 4. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Okay, so Aaron is functioning as, we're going to argue because we're going to see another verse, the prophet to Moses. What does that mean? He speaks what Moses tells him to speak. He is Moses' prophet. And Moses and Aaron, we could say, are both prophets of God. But flip over a couple chapters to Exodus 6, 28 through chapter 7, verse 1, because there, now Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. They've already gone before Pharaoh, actually, but here they go another time. So would you read that for us, Marie? Exodus 6, 28 through chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So it begins the exact same way as it did in Exodus 4.17, where it says, He shall be like God to you. But then instead of saying, And he shall be your mouth, and he shall speak to the people, he says, you shall be the prophet, as though those are synonymous. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks in place of someone else. They're an ambassador, an emissary. They are speaking. And we see that Moses and Aaron understand this, because I have a whole slew of verses here from Exodus of them saying what they think God is telling Pharaoh. Keith, or whoever, 5 one seven sixteen. All right, 5 one. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 16. <clears throat> and you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Same chapter, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh, as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 9, verse 13, The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, so that they may serve me. Chapter 10, verse 3, So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. So what are some key phrases in there, key things they say that are showing that they're speaking for God? Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Every single time. What else? Let my people go. Yeah, that they may serve me. You could maybe argue, well, Moses, they're his people too, but Moses is not calling for them to go serve him in the wilderness. He, they are saying, we are speaking for God. I can use I and me because I'm speaking for God. They didn't say things like, we are of the opinion, if we understood correctly, that God might be communicating that he wants you to consider letting his people go. Humbly. Yes, humbly, <laughs> if we discern things accurately. 
Then there's no wavering, waffling, like, you know, I had this dream, and I think it might have meant. Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And so what they were doing as prophets is very clear. They spoke for God with the authority of God. And so they even, one of them said, you so far have refused to obey me. God was saying, Pharaoh, Moses can tell you, if you don't obey the words that I put in Moses' mouth, you're disobeying me, me being God. I think that's going to be really important when we get to 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. Have we ever been shown that prophecy is something besides that? Well, we're being shown, at least early on, prophecy is clearly speaking for the Lord with the full authority of the Lord. Now we're going to see in a little bit, we're going to turn to Numbers 11, not yet, that the prophetic gift is then spread, not just to Moses and Aaron, but many people. But before there, God lays out some guidelines. Deuteronomy 18, we're going to spend a little time here, so if you have other verses, you probably want to flip there. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. Now before you read it, let me just kind of paint the broader context. Most of our Bibles have maybe like a little header before various sections kind of showing you what is this about. And if you look back at chapter, where's the first one? You have chapter 17, verse 8. How should the priests and judges function? Chapter 17, verse 14. How should the kings of Israel function? Well, it's laying out all these different explanations, guidelines for here's how priests should work for me, as God speaking for Israel. Here's how kings and Chapter 18, 1 through 8, again lays out, this is how priests should function to serve me. Then there's some things God does not want them to do, priests, prophets, or kings, in 18, 9 through 14. And then, in this context, he gives instructions. How should the prophets of Israel function? How should you understand them? And I forget if I gave this to Royal or Amir, but whoever I wrote, if you could read chapter 18, 15 to 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb and the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not permitted him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or comes to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Alright, so here we see that this prophet, or prophets, will come from among them. will be one of their own, and they are to listen to him. Again, the prophet is speaking for God, so they are to heed what he says. God, verse 18 tells us, will put his own words. Verse 18, I'll put my words in his mouth. And that kind of fits what we already saw with Moses and Aaron. That God was saying, I'm telling you what to say, and you go Say it. Not again, words they thought or imagined God wanted them to say. Not a, well, you can follow this if you like, but God said it. You need to obey it. 
And thus, God will hold account, verse 19 tells us, those who don't obey the prophets. They can't just say, well, that's what, just what the prophets said. I'm, I want to hear from God. Well, God's saying, no, I'm speaking through the prophets. So I have, you have to listen to him. However, couldn't anyone then just say, well, God told me to tell you to do this. Well, what about that? Well, then verses 20 explains that they're going to say, thus saith the Lord, but God didn't tell them. Or even worse, maybe, they're going to say, well, other gods said you should do this. What is the punishment if they discover this is true? Death. Uh, we'll pause for a second. Mary, you have Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. If you could read that for us, very similar ideas. Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage, to entice you from the way in which the, the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Again, this false prophet, and this time they are able to do signs and wonders, is told to be put to death. Now, I don't think that means that literally every time they had to, just like when God said that the punishment for rebellious children was stoning, I don't think that was always one rebellion. Sometimes it was gross rebellion, at least with the children, I believe that's what it's talking about. But clearly this is an option, if not the main option. And what is the simple test in Deuteronomy 18 for whether this is a genuine prophet? Yeah. What they say will happen, happens. Pretty simple. And if they didn't have what happened, they said would happen, verse 22 of chapter 18, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now, I think kind of that last clause, afraid of him, is also implying maybe you're not going to kill him every time, because if you kill him, you're definitely not going to be afraid of him. But nonetheless, the point is, we should not just believe anyone who says, well, God told me this. We should test it. And if they say something that's untrue, Saying it's from the Lord, we can very clearly, it says, say they are not a prophet. Seems pretty straightforward. And this is how not just Moses and Aaron spoke, but other prophets spoke. Uh, Ezekiel 3, verse 4. Can, can yes, keep going. Um, I think it's interesting to note in chapter 13 that these guys actually do things that come true. They say things that come true. And so you've got... You've got really two different tests here. The guys in chapter 13 are intentionally leading them away from the living God. So it's contrary to the word of God. The guys in chapter 18, just they're, what they're saying is not coming true. So the two tests, does the prophecy come true? Yes, okay. Is this prophecy intended to lead you to the living God or away from the living God? So you've got kind of two different things. Yeah, good. Good insight there. Thank you. Sarah, did you have Ezekiel 
Son of Man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. All right, speak with my words to them. Zechariah 7, 7. Uh, were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, with her cities around her in the south and in the land were inhabited? Yeah, here he's saying these words from the prophets were from God. And so all of them were speaking as the voice of God. Now, some other brief notes about prophets and that is, there's a big difference between being a prophet and one who understands divination. What is divination? Interpreting signs. Yeah. What are, so what might be interpreting signs that people do? Astrology. Okay, astrology. So now, the Magi, did they interpret signs correctly? Yeah, so that's not all wrong, but we need to be clear that's not what biblical prophets are doing. They're not saying, well, as I looked at the stars, like the Magi, see, the Magi, did it. I was able to determine this is what I think God is telling me. No. Prophets hear from the Lord and speak for the Lord. Uh, as well, um, just a note, prophets existed, but then when we get to Samuel, they begin to grow in their influence in Israel. Maybe they are more, but we get, begin to see in the pages of Scripture more of their influence. And then after Solomon, we see them kind of explode. Even First and Second Kings have seemingly more to talk about prophets at some points than they do about kings. And then there's whole prophetic literature in the major and minor prophets. As well, there are many prophets that we don't have anything written down by them. First uh, Samuel 10.5 talks about a group of prophets. So I think it's important to realize that because not everything a prophet says did God deem we all need to know. So yes, everything a prophet said is a true prophet spoke authoritatively from God, but that doesn't mean everything should be in Scripture. And I think that's a fair point because as we get farther in this discussion, some of our friends are going to say, well, yes, Prophecy exists today, and maybe we'll agree or disagree, but we don't need to say, well, then it should be in the Bible, because not every prophet, everything they've said is needed to be in the Bible. As well, not only was it not divining, neither was it in unclear dreams or things they didn't understand. Um, it wasn't as though the prophets went into a trance, and in that trance they wrote something down, and then they kind of woke from their stupor, and then like, I don't even know what happened. They understood and were able to communicate it. And lastly, one other little interesting tidbit. Uh, not every prophet was an Israelite. Balaam, in the book of Numbers, was able to speak prophecies for the Lord, and yet he was not an Israelite. But to wrap this up, I think Deuteronomy 18 is also pointing to something beyond that. Would Katie, did you have Deuteronomy 34? Yes. 10 through 12. Because this is how the book of Deuteronomy ends, and it kind of is like what you may say a pregnant ending, kind of like, uh, that's kind of anticipating something there. And there has not arisen a prophet since Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So the way that ends, it sure seems like it's saying, there's another one. 
And even Deuteronomy 18 said there's a prophet who's going to come. So who is that? Well, Acts chapter 3, Peter, the apostle, makes very clear who that is. Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. This is right after Pentecost, and the apostle Peter is preaching. And Stan, if you could read those verses for us. Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and his successors onward, uh, also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets, and the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For, <clears throat> for you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. And as we would look at the wider context, but we can't read everything, see Peter is very clearly talking about Jesus. And early on we talked about how this was shown when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and who came to a Mount of Olives and he was transfigured? Who came and stood with him? Moses and Elijah, the two greatest Old Testament prophets. And God said, the Father from heaven, this is my beloved son, listen to him. That's what you say to prophets. You say, listen to that person. And he didn't just say that to those. I think he was also telling Moses and Elijah, listen to him. Clearly showing Jesus was this final great prophet who was to come. Now, in regards to broader religions, why is that a extremely significant thing to point out? Okay, and why might that be a, an important point to make as we talk with some of our friends of different faiths? Okay. Yeah, yeah, but what about maybe outside Christianity even? Or, Muhammad, perhaps. Yeah, because what do Muslims believe about Jesus? That he was a prophet. Yeah. Muhammad was the final one. Yeah, they would say, yeah, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus had good things to say. But we needed another prophet. We needed the final prophet, Muhammad. Or our... Or Joseph Smith. Needed to be... The final problem. Yes, I mean, because also, yes, everything's here good, but we need this plus just a little bit more. And so this is a major distinction. I mean, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I think it's close to a third of the world are either Christians or Muslims. So I mean, this is a pretty major difference between what we believe and they believe. And so it's an important thing to note. Um, Keith brought up a good point. Any other comments y'all want to make about what we've seen so far about prophets in the Old Testament. Or prophecy. Alright, well then, let's back up just a little bit, because I did say there's an important incident, or important story. Story, not meaning untrue. There can be two stories. His story. Um... In Numbers 11, 16 through 30, Katrina, could you read that for us? Arnold, would you turn to Joel chapter 2, 28 through 29, and 
Elaine, Acts 2, 1 through 21. So we mentioned that Abraham was the first person called a prophet, though it wasn't very clearly delineated what that meant. Then we looked at Moses being given this role of speaking, but he's hemmed and hawed and finally just said no, that God got angry and said, okay, look, Aaron will be a prophet for you, and you're a prophet for me, and both of y'all will be prophets. And then we saw how that was expanded in explaining the role. And yet in Numbers 11, we see the interesting incident of this role of prophecy going to many others. And you may be surprised to find out it all begins with Israel grumbling about the food they have. It's a rare incident where they don't like it and they wish they could go back to Egypt because in Egypt we had meat. And here we don't have meat. And God basically says, you want meat? I'll give you meat until you're so sick of meat you won't want to eat it again. And then Moses, in the midst of all this, is just burdening. He's like, God, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't give birth to this children. Why am I having to deal with them grumbling and complaining all the time? I can't bear it anymore. Just kill me. And so God says, well, look, I'm going to lessen your burden. I'm going to share it. So pick 70 elders, 70 leaders of Israel, and I will take some of the spirit I've laid on you and share it with others. But then we get to this part of the story, Numbers 11, 16 through 30. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and the officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am number six hundred thousand on foot. And you have said, I will give them meat, and they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to them, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. And they did not continue to Now two men remained in the camp, one named Oda and the other named Nida, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Nadad are prophesying in the camp, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of the Moses of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. 
But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel Alright, so the Lord comes and these 70 elders all prophesy when the Spirit of the Lord is put upon them and then somehow, not exactly sure how, just admit that, these two men, Eldad and Medad, because they stay in the camp, continue to prophesy. And what is Joshua's response when he hears this? Yeah, we're not told, but why would he, I mean, we're somewhat supposing here, but why would he maybe not want them to prophesy? Okay, Moses, you need to keep your position. And yet, what does Moses say in response? I wish everybody did it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want this just for me. If, if everyone were able to prophesy, and obviously, truly, that'd be great. We don't need to just keep it to me. Uh, and then this gets picked up in Joel chapter 2, 28 through 29, and then we'll see at Pentecost. And it shall come to pass afterward. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Alright, and so then, the day of Pentecost, the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem, and the spirit comes upon them, and they began to speak in tongues. And the people in Jerusalem think they're drunk because they're acting in a way that they don't understand. And yet, at the same time, <clears throat> each of them is understanding them in their own language. And Peter wants to explain to them what's happening. And Elaine, if you could read verse 14 through verse 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here we have this event, this unique event in redemptive history, as we might say, where this prophecy of Joel comes true, where what Moses desired here happens. Now, it doesn't continue to happen because they stop doing this, and we see various times when they do or don't do this. But here, the desire is that all may prophesy. We even know all don't prophesy, because as we've studied, and now we're all the way to 1 Corinthians, Paul said there are different gifts. Some have the gift of prophecy, some do not have it. But then that leads to where we are, 1 Corinthians 14.1, 1, 
Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So what is all of this saying? Should all of us still be prophesying today? We'll pause and get your thoughts, and we'll dive into this. Or maybe we'll put pause for next one. Well, I have a question. So these people's... Spirit of the Lord, the ones with Moses anyway, the spirit of, some of the spirit was taken from Moses and put on these 70 elders to prophesy. So are we to assume that these people are prophets like Moses and Isaiah and the minor major prophets? I mean, would they be prophesying all the time or was this a one-time event or does it matter? Seems to me, could be wrong, that there was more a one-time event just like when King Saul was walking and he went to look for David and... When he got to David, David was with Samuel. First he sent some men to go get David, and when they got there, they all started prophesying. And then even King Saul went and prophesied. And the people say, is Saul now among the prophets? Um, but it seems like more one-time thing where the Spirit of God came upon them. Not that they then had the official role of prophet. But I'm happy to hear other opinions on that. Well, actually it says they stopped. Yeah. The 70 stopped, except for Eldad and Bedad. Because even with Elijah, when Elijah was going to be taken up by the Lord and Elisha was following him, the different places he went, wasn't it a group of prophets who came and said, you know your master's being taken up today? Was that also a group of prophets where they, yeah. they were? Yes, there were, there were definitely prophets who were not, that we know nothing about, in the sense that there's a band of prophets. Well, who were they? Well, we're not told. And so... I think it's fair to assume if they're prophets, they were giving prophecies. It's, it's not always just the, the foretelling. It's, it can be the judgment as well. So you know, we tend to think in, a, in our American way that prophecy is always a look into the future. It's not necessarily. It may just be a judgment from God, a condemnation against the word that God is using him as a mouthpiece to go before the king. Just speak God's words. You see that often in the prophets. Even in the role of Moses and Aaron, they weren't foretelling for Pharaoh what would happen, except that this plague will happen. But besides that, they were just saying, God is saying, let my people go. This is a command from God, not necessarily a, some idea about the future. In, in all of the instances that we have from the Old Testament, the prophet knew that this was specifically a word from God that they were to give. Um, maybe outside of anything that had been written of God's word. So, is it, I mean, it would be likely to expect that if someone had a prophecy today that they would know that it was from God and not just their own thoughts. Because I can look at scripture and tell somebody, well, according to God's word, you're not obeying, you know. But that's, I mean, so that, I mean, I don't know what it is from God, but it seems like that, that their prophecies were more specific, given to them to give, like, that God communicated with them. Yeah. I would argue, though, that that's prophesying. I can say, thus says the Lord, you are in sin. That is, that is yeah, but I guess that the instances of the Old Testament seem as though it was a specific message that they were told to go and communicate to someone in particular, that it wasn't just their own conviction. Are we commanded to go and exhort and encourage and rebuke? 
I'm not, you know, I'm just, I feel like there's something different about prophecy. Like, if I'm, if I'm rebuking somebody, is that prophecy? <coughs> or if it's just rebuking my brother? Yeah. If you could call prophecy. it, is prophecy episodic? So is it like an episode? It's an episode of prophecy, or is it more of a general call? Your general yeah, well, I think this is, so these type of questions is where people then, and I'm going to pause and going through the rest of this today. Uh, this is where we begin to differ because we use the same words but differently. And we talked about this with apostles because apostle literally means sent one. So are we not all sent out into the world? We're all apostles. Okay, yes. On that meaning, you're correct. So like, like either, yes, we're all prophets on one level, but at the same time, I think there's, there was a difference in apostles, their role, and prophets, their role, as opposed to, like when, when this is the verse we'll look at next week, Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. I think those are specific people, not just generic people. But this is probably a good way to transition. I don't know. Pull something out. Ooh, exciting. Uh, just... Uh, I got an email this morning, uh, and there's a group of prophets, because of everything that's happened in the last year, um, who have now come up with a group of prophetic standards that churches should adhere to who believe in modern-day prophecy. You can go to propheticstandards.com and find these. Um, but here's two things or that, at, that are at the end that will help us understand them, if you disagree, or help you understand what you believe, if you think this. But they say, we reject the notion that a contemporary prophetic word is on the same level of inspiration or authority as Scripture. So they're saying prophecies today are not like this here. Now maybe we would argue, I probably will argue next week, that the implication should be that, but we need to be fair to them. That's not what they're saying. They're trying to be very clear, our prophecies today are different than Scripture. Now, I don't think they have warrant for saying that. I think they could say the same thing in different ways. But nonetheless, to be fair to them, they don't think they're saying that. They don't believe they're speaking inerrantly today. Since the Bible says we only know in part and prophesy in part. So that's their kind of their argument. Well, we're prophesying in part. I don't think that's what that verse is saying, but nonetheless. It is the written word of God alone that can lay claim to being the word of God. Prophecies at best are a word from the Lord to be tested by the word of God. So, here's some people who believe there's modern day prophecy who are trying to be very careful about what they're saying and saying, look, what we think we're speaking is still subject to this. Finally, while we believe in holding prophets accountable for their words in accordance with the scriptures, we do not believe that a sincere prophet who delivers an inaccurate message is therefore a false prophet. Instead, as Jesus explained, as the Old Testament emphasized, false prophets are wolves in sheep's clothing in contrast to two true believers who might speak inaccurately. And they give some verses that they think support that. This is a false prophet is someone who operates under a false spirit masquerading as the Holy Spirit. And so, one more thing they say, we therefore recognize distinctions between a believer who gives an inaccurate prophecy, in which case they should acknowledge their error, a believer who consistently prophesies inaccurately, in which case we recognize that this person is not a prophet and we urge them to stop prophesying, and a false prophet whom we recognize as a false believer, a lost soul, calling them to repent and be saved. So, I would 
disagree with some of what they said there, but nonetheless, we need to be fair to people in what they're trying to say. Just like some of us hold to God predestined people from all time to be saved. People go, well, you don't believe anyone has any say that they're just robots. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> so you, you need to be fair to those you're arguing with. What are they saying? Now, you might say, well, the implications of what you're saying are really dangerous. And to jump a little bit ahead, like with Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, I think it's very dangerous to say, I'm speaking for Jesus using his words. I think if she wrote that book and changed all the I's and me's to he's and him's, okay, great. You're giving a message that you think we should hear. Wonderful. That's what everyone does who speaks about the Lord. But that's a big difference between I am telling you, speaking for Jesus, that you need to do this. Unless I'm quoting a verse, I don't believe I can or should do that. So, there's a lot that we can dive into and we're going to dive into next, but those are some kind of big, broad ideas. I'm curious, other thoughts? We have about three minutes before we wrap up. Yes? Hosea was called by God specifically to do things counter to things God had already said he should do. And I feel like that just adds a whole... Like, if someone were to say today that they were told by God that they should go and do this thing that's contrary to Scripture, I'd be like, no, absolutely not. But how do you... Well, I don't think Hosea was told to do anything that was wrong. I would take a prostitute as a wife? I mean, shouldn't someone eventually marry those women? I mean, it's not sinful. It may be unwise. I think she already had her husband. Well, that makes the being unequally yoked for sure, because she's a prostitute. There's probably a good chance she might leave her. So, it's a God's law. Adultery. You're marrying a person who committed adultery. Yeah, but... She was clearly unrepentant. Yeah. Once they got married, we are not really told, maybe... Yeah, she left him after. After they got married. I mean, maybe he should have known, but I would put that in the wisdom category. He's not, not, he's not advocating for people to go out and find a prostitute to marry. No, I know that. And so, and, and so yes, it, it is a weird, if, if Hosea was my son, and he said he got a word from the Lord to go and, and I, I don't know where hookers are on him, but go down to wherever there are, and, and marry a hooker, I'd be going, are you daft? You know, what are you thinking and then try and dissuade him? But if he's got a word from the Lord, he's going to go do it anyway. And now Hosea here is speaking really what God is trying to convey, and that is the adulterous nature of his people. So it's not it's not an advocacy of prostitution. Yeah. Much like polygamy. But God's using it as a living example. With regard to your article... I appreciate what they're trying to do because it's desperately needed. Having watched and heard and read what happened over the last year with regard to church prophecy on a national level, on a secular level, like something. <laughs> and so, although I think a lot of us disagree slightly with some of the things they're saying, I appreciate the effort a lot. Um, and I, I think it's needed. The thing, one of the things we'll probably get to next week, I'll listen on audio, uh, is the is new can if we agree that biblical or call it Old Testament and uh, New Testament times prophecy was inerrant?
can New Testament times or contemporary times today prophecy be errant and still from the Lord? And that seems to be a difference there. Where they're they're implying it, there can be errancy, there can be error in it, and yet it's from the Lord. It just, it just gets really strange really quick. Yeah. Well, and, well, yeah, we'll talk about it next yeah, week. We, because they, they're going to even argue, and we'll look at the examples. Well, there's errors and prophecies in the New Testament. And we'll look at the examples they give, and I'll argue that I disagree with them. Started at the very beginning. Jeremiah Johnson. Yep. Jeremiah Johnson. And so he is disqualified then as a prophet. Well, not along this line of thinking, because this would follow. They had three categories. The first one is a believer who gives an inaccurate prophecy, in which case they should acknowledge. They'd say, well, he's done that. He admitted, I was wrong on that one. But if he kind of has a pattern, then you say, well, you should stop prophesying. Are you going to talk to that? Yeah. Do you agree with those guidelines? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Good. Because <laughs> he okay. he's 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 Yeah, absolutely. And the culture that he well, came from. Like, well, yeah, he was lambasted by people who believe prophecy. They yeah. thought he was he like... He shouldn't have apologized and stuff. So we, we're out in like, we've left the reservation, I feel like, a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these standards. Because he, he was actually received a lot of hate hate mail and stuff before apologizing and before admitting that it didn't come to pass what he prophesied. Yeah. If we're told to test the spirits, should we not also test the prophets? Because they're getting these prophecies from somewhere. So. Well, we're going to talk about that because they would say, see, the difference is now we test them, not say, so we got to kind of weigh, see which part is right and which part is wrong. And also, with prophecy, be And they won. But why would God do that? It doesn't really make sense. Well, because Los Angeles Angels, God's for the Who are they playing? I don't even know who they're playing. Are there examples of prophecies in Scripture that don't necessarily have to be directly with God, but just about one country attacking another country? And or well, when they're well, when Saul's looking for his lost lost animals, he says, "Go to the prophet, and he'll tell you where the animals are." I think I forget that. I think there are examples where it's not directly related to God. Of course, He's sovereign over it all. But. Yep. All right. Well, you can look forward to next week or the audio.